welcome back to the morning skate. This is your host Brownie on a special edition. I am uh, not without my partner in crime, Ked. I'm sure he's somewhere trying to figure out how to get Patrick Kane to the Rangers. But I am joined today by a legend of hockey journalism uh, who joined the Boston Globe back in 1985, spent time as a beat reporter for both the Boston Red Sox and the Boston Bruins, author of the uh, Boston Globe Sunday Hockey Notes and the column Second Thoughts, and was recognized by the Hockey Hall of Fame, that's right, the Hockey Hall of Fame, with the Elmer Ferguson Memorial Award in 2002, ladies and gentlemen, Kevin Paul DuPont. Kevin, welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much. It's great to be here. Glad to have you here. I've been a fan of yours for a long time, and uh, it was very exciting that you agreed to do this, and I thank you very much, sir. And for those... For those that are wondering, Kevin is at the TD Garden because this man eats, breathes, and sleeps hockey. That's why he's already <laughs> yeah. there. <laughs> already there. Yeah. He's sharpening up the skates, helping out in any way he can. <laughs> Actually, the truth, the truth, well, there are, two, there are two truths to know. One is that I had to be in the office with an IT problem, uh, <laughs> which is, thankfully, that's, they straightened it out. The, the new Boston Globe office, which has been about the last four years, is just... Uh, almost attached to Faneuil Hall. And then I figured I'd do something. I was going to do this outside uh, because you get a beautiful view of the, the Zakem Bridge, but oh, yeah. uh, it, just, it, it just wasn't working out in terms of wind, location, noise. So I did the honorable thing every sports writer does, which is I found a bar. So here I am <laughs> inside, inside. And if, uh, Adam, you may not be you may not be old enough, but I'm roughly am I doing this right? Roughly in the location of what was in its day the Iron Horse. Oh yeah, which the, yeah. Which was the old bar off of Causeway Street. I'd say probably we are a hundred feet behind what was the Iron Horse. I'm just trying to trying to do the do the math here because the old garden, right, right. <laughs> the old garden became a parking lot. Yep. And then they built the new building within nine inches of the old building. So, I have a picture somewhere of it half half gone when you could look in when it was that picture someone took yes. from the expressway. I remember yeah. that picture. Great. Yeah. Now, speaking so, of the old building, I'm sure you probably have some fond memories of the garden and also the old Globe. What was it Morrissey Boulevard, right? Was that where the old location yes. was of the Globe? Exactly. When, a, yeah. when I started, is it, 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 it this February, this coming February will be 50 years Wow. Since I began there as a copy boy on February 28th, 1973. So mark your calendars now. And, uh, <laughs> we can give uh, you a Venmo a, out later. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. That was uh, the old building on Morrissey Boulevard. The old building is still there. It's no longer a newspaper, of course. And what can I tell you about it? We had it. We had at its peak, I believe, 2,000 employees. Wow. And on many... On many days, that included the printers, of course, and, and the paper was printed yep. on location. It's now printed out in Taunton. Uh, and the, the few papers that are actually printed are in Taunton. Right, right. And uh, we had 2,000 people. We had a dry cleaner in the building. We had a barber shop in the building. And we had lots of people. So it was a, it was a neat communal experience. Not to make people start crying, but I, <laughs> I, I did love it. I didn't like the location necessarily. There was a lot of reasons not to like the location, but uh, a huge building, fourteen acres, lots of parking. That's free parking. Yeah, right, right. To now, I think it's fifty-eight dollars to park around the guard uh, around the new building. 
Jeez. So, and you had the straight which, shot to Foley's too, right? Well, the straight shot to Foley's was my prior life. <laughs> oh, at the Herald. And at I took Herald? too many. Yes, I took too many yeah. advantages of that straight shot. <laughs> uh, not that I was alone, mind you. Many of us uh, would, would, especially when we were on the desk, uh, we would make that trip from uh, sometimes between editions, truth be told, uh, running from the old building, running from the Herald, which is now, I think, a, a Whole Foods market and a hotel. They've done a very nice job down there on what's called the ink block. Uh, oh, that's not, yeah. Right. On Harrison Avenue. There was really nothing there. The only thing that existed in those days, this is late 70s into the early 80s, uh, was Foley's that you mentioned, Pine Street Inn, which yep. some of us were, were working on our our path to get there. And uh, and also, what else was, what else existed? A, a, a little Chinese joint, but a little Chinese, as I talk, I'll remember the name of it. I can't write the Ming. The there Ming. you go. Yeah. <laughs> it's funny. Like you listen to a lot of players talk and they talk about how players have changed so much and they don't go out for the beers with the boys anymore. And it's all training and exercise and regimens. Beer. And I no, I know. That's what I was going to say. I feel like it's the same thing with journalists. You know, it's the, the days of the journalists going to the bar with the team. You were on the charter flights. You know, I, I read an interview with you where your very first road trip was with Don Cherry's Bruins. I mean, yes. I mean, that's unbelievable. You know, the stories uh, that you must get access to that nowadays and rightfully so, the players are a little more guarded with social media, I would imagine. But I feel like there was a more give and take back when I was younger. Well, there was more give and take. I mean, this again, this goes back 45 years now. So, uh, it, so for that trip specifically that you're talking about, which I can't remember, I do remember some of the stops. Denver was the first one, uh, which ironically or, or coincidentally, uh, Cherry ended up coaching in Denver not long after that um, for one year anyway. I mean, but, just the, ca uh, the characters on that squad, too. Yeah, there were great characters, and the other the other part of it is what I was getting to, is as the Globe, or if you, uh, I was a, excuse me, I was the Herald guy then, the Herald beat reporter. So uh, the team flew commercial. It's all charter now. Virtually every mm -hmm. team is charter in all sports, uh, and very rarely are writers or any media members, unless you're a rights holder, are you allowed on the charter. And again, if I start going off into tangents here, that you, no. you don't care listen, about, we're so. all about tangents. Trust me, okay. it's all, that's our that's that's one of our founding principles of our <laughs> podcast. So we were, uh, we were we, everyone char everyone traveled charter team. Uh, I'm sorry, everyone char uh, traveled commercial, and it was a Cambridge, uh, it was a Cambridge based Dan Prank owned the company, Cambridge based uh, travel agency that did the travel. His, his yep. motto, of course, was drop the anchor with Pranka. And <laughs> so Carol was the uh, was the woman in charge of all the Bruins travel. And then she did the media as well. So the media, it all got bundled into a group yep. rate. So we got very good prices on the flights. The Globe or the Herald paid, but they just right. we got swept into those prices, including on that first road trip. Now that I'm talking, included uh, Los Angeles. I know Los Angeles. I know Vancouver was on that trip and Denver. 
the the media rate, which was the team rate as well, at the L.A. Airport Marriott was nineteen dollars a night. Jeez, imagine. <laughs> and now I now I think it's I've stayed there in recent years. It's around two hundred and fifty or. Two hundred ninety-nine a night. Well, hopefully it's been upgraded. <laughs> so yeah, no, it's about the same. It's really about the same. So uh, yeah, I, but to your central point is access was great. You can talk to players on the plane, talk to them while you're waiting for your bag. Typically, there was a pool. Everybody threw a buck in, so the first the first bag off the conveyor belt won the pool. So yep. you'd have maybe maybe forty bucks, which. Frankly, when a hotel room was 19, 40 yeah. bucks was a nice little payoff. It's a decent uh, amount, right? Yeah. Uh, got on the bus with the team. You could talk to a player. Typically, what you did was leave the guys alone and on the bus or at the carousel waiting for the bag, say, when we check into the hotel, can I get you for 10 minutes in the lobby? And I'm, I'm not sure anyone ever said no. It was always people always, players always accommodated us. Uh, teams were uh, thankful for the coverage. Uh, we were thankful for the access. Uh, you know, there, there were times you, and it, nothing really unsavory, but as you can well imagine, there were things said on planes and right. maybe a, a guy with a beer or two too many, you know, being vulgar with his language. And that could go both ways too, yep. <laughs> player or media. Uh, and, you know, I, I don't know anybody who sort of, betrayed that unwritten trust so it was it, it, by my eye it was much better than then uh today's world is, is very difficult from an access standpoint uh, not just the access the accountability as well i mean it's one thing to you know run your mouth behind a keyboard or or on a podcast if you're there talking to the player right it's you know it's a little bit it's a little bit different there's a level of respect that i feel is lacking a lot of times in today's well, today's society in general, you can make that argument, you know. Yeah, no question. Uh, yeah. yeah. Uh, but, I, but what's happened, there's, there's, there's been such a distancing now, uh, even though I've been on the beat for the better part of 45 years, and, and, and COVID has made this even more yeah. uh, uh, distancing and more alienating, if you will, that these last two or three years, I'm sh there are players who've come and gone, usually short stays. They don't know who the beat writers are. Right. Even though I've, I've been there for 45 years, in some cases there have been guys guys or gals there four or five days. They don't know me from them. Uh, right. Uh, which isn't, I don't want that misinterpreted as saying, don't you know who the hell I am? Because I've never felt that way. Right. But it, it's just... If, if I went back to the 70s and the 80s, they knew who the beat guys were from the Herald and the Globe. They knew the TV guys at channels four, five, and seven. They got embedded, uh, not only embedded into the being around the team, they got embedded in players' minds. They knew who they were. So now it's much different. And this is sort of the Bill Simmons effect that you get, you, you know, this, this countless coterie of media who who really never never go to the room never meet these people uh, have no accountability right it's it's again it's a much different world and you know i i'm enough in social media that i see it all the time shaughnessy and i talk about this all the time about a, a, a good section of the of the commercial or consumer end 
meaning the reader, delighting in, in, in the trouble we have and, and loving it when players think we're jerks and all the rest of it. You know what? It, 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 as, as the consumer, it, it doesn't work in your favor. <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah, exactly. It, it works in your favor to have people there and have them accountable. And, and ha having the this layer of accountability, of course, we we could we could really hijack this show and start talking <laughs> politics, but it's it's the same it's the same principle. You know, mm. Without without uh, some critique, some critical analysis, you're just left with. You, frankly, you might as well just go to the to the team website and yeah. and and read their puffery because that's what it is. And if I own the team and I own the website, that's what I'd put out. I'd put out. Yeah, puffery. exactly. Exactly. Puffery so you understand it from both sides, right? Yeah. No, I get it. I totally yeah. get it. And, and I, I, I see it all the time. I see it every day. And I, I, I can tell you, I get it from a business dynamic. I totally <laughs> get it from a consumer end, which is what I'm trying to cater to. It's dreadful. Absolutely dreadful. <laughs> You touched on Shaughnessy, and for those that don't know, that's Dan Shaughnessy, longtime Boston Globe uh, writer, uh, sports reporter as well. Um, I feel like Shaughnessy gets a lot more vitriol in this market than you would, I, for example, who's been there the same time. He, They love to make him the whipping boy. And I got to be honest with you, I think he's a very knowledgeable, good reporter. I enjoy his work, you know. He's in the Hall of Fame as well, right? Is he, is he, is he yeah. elected? They're, they're, actually, that's, that's another, <laughs> this ends up sounding self-aggrandizing, but I'll, I'll take a shot at this one. There were, <laughs> there were three of us. Oh, Dan right, and I, right, right. Yep. Dan and I ended up as, uh, as uh, not only workmates, but we were roommates for a few years when we were living in a three-family, two-family in Brighton with a bunch of guys and paying, I, I can tell you we were paying for rent, we were paying $81.25 each. Good Lord. For a four-bedroom. That's, like That's like a burrito yeah. price yes. in Brighton right now. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> we had a four-bedroom flat, uh, first floor of a two-family on on Hobart Street in Oak Square. And <laughs> and trust me, trust me, we would both say best years of our lives. Yeah. Uh, but what we were doing then, and we did this for a couple of years, it was Dan, me, and Leslie Visser, who I, I yep. think some of your readers will recognize Leslie's name. The three of us were doing Schoolboys together. Uh, and the, the big push for Schoolboys then, and, and still is to a degree, was Saturday night, Saturday afternoon high school football. And we were we were the whipping whipping kids, if you will, of uh, Neil Singleays, who headed up the the Globe's uh, high school coverage. Anyway, you couldn't leave Saturday night. The day wasn't done unless you got every line score, box score, and key notes for every Eastern Mass high school football game, Good which Lord. sometimes <laughs> meant you were there for at least an extra two hours chasing the coach. The kid the coach had assigned, sometimes the coach's wife. Uh, and but, for those that don't realize, this is pre-cell phone. Like, I was a high school coach, right. and I knew to call in on the cell phone. And even then, I'd forget half the time, and it was a pain. But imagine having to go home and remember to do it from a landline or find a pay phone near the field. Impossible. But sorry, yeah. go ahead. I mean, a mess. Well, up, not right? impossible if, if you're, you know, this, is, this isn't to reflect on your situation. But... 
I'll give you a percentage. 80% of those coaches were very conscientious because they wanted, they wanted the score in the Boston Globe. That oh, yeah. meant something to them. Uh, and again, there was no internet. There was no other yep. way. The only way, the only way that was going to make it to the record, if you will, was to make sure the Globe and the Herald, the Herald wasn't as devoted in terms of space and manpower as we were. But that that was a big deal. It's and, yeah. and it, it is still a big deal. I get it, but it's a different world. My my central point here, and again, self-aggrandizing. Uh, no, hey, you earned it. Go ahead. Is the three <laughs> of us, the three of us ended up in our respective halls of fame. So I ended up in the Hockey Hall of Fame, Dan in Cooperstown, and Leslie in Camp. Yeah. Uh, and I would say, most well, I don't know. I, I don't know which is harder. They're, they're all, they're, they all have, have a degree of difficulty. But Leslie was really at the vanguard of, of women reporters. Oh, yeah. Uh, women sports reporters. There were others. We had, we had Karen Kane at the Globe for a while before Leslie, where they overlapped. Karen was very short-lived. Uh, we had Marie Brenner for a while. So there was... There were other women, but Leslie made a career of it and, and did extremely well. And it's 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 really sort of a it, it's if nothing else, it's it's a fond, cool memory that the th three of us grew up together. We ran around together, sometimes to excess, and <laughs> uh, and we all ended up making making good careers out of it. Hey, you, you're, I mean, to be recognized by the Hockey Hall of Fame is is no small feat, you know, as a journalist. It's it's something that you rightfully should be proud of. And I don't think you're I don't think you were tooting your own horn there. I think I mean, it's facts are facts. You're you know, you earned it. You deserve it. And for those that haven't read you, you should because you you're the. I mean, it's the real deal. So I, I told well, you when you. we first talked, you one of my favorite or probably my favorite hockey writer of all, you know, always look forward. The Sunday hockey notes was my favorite thing in the paper. And on Sundays, I would save the hockey part till the very last thing I would read because it was just so great. Because oh, it was <laughs> back then, it was the one of the only ways you would get news about the Western Conference or teams from out of market. Right. There was no NHL network back then. You know, ESPN wasn't a thing. It was the hockey. It was the Sunday hockey notes. It was great. Yeah, the, and, that, and that challenge – that was a big it, – it, it's, it's still a challenge. It's just a different challenge now. But the challenge then was to constantly be on the phone and making calls. And you could find something out on a Tuesday that happened with the Blackhawks that you could easily keep, keep in your notebook until you filed Friday evening and didn't appear in print till Sunday, uh, well, very late Saturday night for that Bulldog edition. But that's that's gone now. You can't yeah. get any – there's, there's, there's not keeping anything on a Tuesday and hope that it's going to hold up to a Sunday. Well, that is, actually, that you, is the news, news worthy. You led, me, you led me into what I want – another question I wanted to ask you with that. Um, now it's the, you know, the whole, like, if it bleeds, it leads, everybody talks about, and they think it's, you know, you know dangerous things that happen, uh, you know, a forest fire, school shooting, but even like a snowstorm. It, you know, everybody builds it up on Wednesday and then nothing happens come the weekend. It's the same mentality. And I feel now with the rush to get things out, to have a to break, you know, to have a scoop, I feel like a lot of the, you know, then they go back and apologize and fix it afterwards. And, you know, one of the things 
go back to that hockey notes, if you had the story on a Tuesday, it would be verified. And it was not the, the we got to get out, we got to get out, I'm going to get scooped. And I feel like a lot of the – I don't know the best way to say this, but it's it's not as good <laughs> for lack of, a, lack of a better way to say it. it, it was much when better. you say not as good, how do you mean? I, I, I mean, think I know what you mean. I mean, the the rush to get stuff out, the the willingness to t- make mistakes and just be like, ah, we'll fix it afterwards. I, I think there's something lacking in the the way we're uh, consuming information, be it sports or any other, you know, market. Yes. Yeah, I would I would say 100 percent correct. There's and again, this speaks to uh, a, a, there's there's a massive amount of uh, people working in the business who've never had to work for. Uh, or never had the pleasure of <laughs> uh, working for a, a mainstream media outlet that yep. is asking first and foremost for accountability and and truth being right. So there's nothing that gets under my skin personally and makes me feel worse than being wrong and having yeah. and having and having to having to apologize for it. And yeah. because it's for, for for those of us who've grown up in that ethos. It, it's a bad day when you get it wrong. And I'm not talking about the garden variety stuff where, you know, a, a guy spells his name S-M-Y-T-H for Smith and right. you, you've made a Smith. I mean, I don't like that either. Right. Right. You know, if, you've, if, if you've spelled if you've spelled someone's name wrong, this is lesson one in journalism. Then then there's every there's every expectation that the reader will consider everything else wrong. Yeah. You can't even get the name wrong. And I've done it. I've done it. You know, I've, I've transposed IE when it should be EI. And I hate it. I hate it. Uh, but there's, again, there's a whole generation or two now. They don't care about that. Uh, yeah. And to your point, they'll fix it. They'll fix it in the next iteration. But for those of us who grew up, especially in the one and done print world, which is it ran on Saturday and you yep. didn't get to you didn't get to go back in and make the fix digitally like you can now, uh, which which frankly is a great comfort on my end. The, the, the mistake just stood there and it stunk and it stunk and sometimes it stunk really bad uh, and you and you had to live with it. So and again, I make them. We all make them. Yeah. The point is, if you make if you make them enough, eventually they get somebody else. Yeah. You know, and and that's true of judgment too. If if, if in the end, and again, I uh, everybody in the business, you know, my dear friend Jonasy, Leslie, uh, I can go down. Ryan Gammons, we've all had it wrong, uh, but you, what you have to hope for is that you're hitting. Unlike in baseball, where 300 you're a star, in this business you really have to be hitting above 900. Yeah. And if you don't, they get somebody else. Uh, and I'm not saying woe is us, but that's a, that's a high demand. It's, it's high demand to be right, but that that's part and parcel with it. If you don't accept that, then you should go somewhere else. Yeah, I no, I agree. It's it's the it's things like even the little stuff like on the blogs we do on the site, like like grammatical errors, spelling errors drive me insane. And I'm yep. like, why you can't do spell check before you 
You know what I mean? It's just so simple. And there's so I covered the uh, the Northeastern women's uh, hockey team as well. And there's a few players on the team that have the uh, the little accent on the U and the, oh, the yeah. umlaut sure, on the yeah. U. Umlauts, and, yeah. Well, Accepting the Northeastern the Northeastern website doesn't have it right. And it drives me insane. So I always make sure that I do it, you know, because if they read it, I'd like them to be like, oh, he got it right. You know, it's yeah, sure. It's again, your name's important to my mind. Yeah, your your name's important. Sure. Uh, I do want to go back to there was I read an article uh, uh, interview you did way back when with the Concord Public Library, um, which was uh, pretty enlightening. I enjoyed it. I want to ask you about the uh, when you started the Globe, the last resort story. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think it's a great story. I don't, I'm not trying oh, yeah. to make fun. <laughs> no, no, I'm glad you did. So uh, I mentioned earlier that my first night of work, this is the, this goes back to my first night in the business, February 28th of 1973. I, I had uh, through a through a instructor slash he wasn't a professor, but he was my my first journalism, there's, there's a backstory on this too. I got a million backstories. Uh, <laughs> my, my first instructor in journalism, JO101, was George Sullivan. And George Sullivan was a very successful uh, columnist for what was then the Boston Herald Traveler. It went out of business as part of the whole uh, Channel 5 losing its broadcast license at the start of the 70s. The only television station in the country, I believe to this day, that ever lost its broadcast license uh, based on, as I recall, the original financing of, of how, how the deal was financed or something. Someone will correct me on that. Anyway, uh, I had been into, George ended up as, as our instructor at BU, George ended up probably uh, getting 10 or 12, at least 10 of us, 12 of us into copy boy uh, positions at the globe by not that he could hire us, but set up the interview for us to go in. So he, you know, he, he would pick kids he thought would be diligent kids able, able to take scores over the phone. That was the qualification. Uh, and so I was the first of 10 or 12, you know, including it's probably an even split there of, of guys and gals uh, who went in. So I went in about 10 days before, and met Ernie Roberts, who was the sports editor at the time. He was also a Saturday. He was a sports editor uh, for the Globe uh, morning and evening, too. I think he, we, we printed the Evening Globe as well. Uh, met him, shook his hand, took a typing test, uh, took some general stuff. and Okay, great. We'll call you if we, 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 call you if we need you. Or if we want you. Uh, well, so I got a call about 10 days later. Uh, I had worked that winter for UPS loading trucks in Watertown. And this was about a month or two later. And uh, could you work a shift? Because one of the kids, Kenny, Kenny Hughes was his name, had emergency surgery, had to, had to pull out. Well... I must have driven 90 miles an hour down the Mass Pike. It's your break. It's uh, your call-up. You made it to the right, show, right? Right. <laughs> and uh, I worked I worked for the next five nights. I worked, again, I was in school full-time, but 
I worked for the next five nights, 40 hour, eight hour shifts. And I, and I loved it. I loved it the second I walked through the door. Um, but the last resort part of this is, so Ernie, uh, they, they were in an emergency situation. Kenny Hughes couldn't come in. He had this surgery thing. And uh, I found, and I still have this paper somewhere in my basement. <laughs> in those days, we had eight by 11 sheets of pink uh, paper that we used, we used part of the, uh, the makeup process or the editing process. And usually, as I recall, it was photos, but anyway, it was a grease, a, a red uh, grease pencil on a pink piece of paper that had my name spelled out, Kevin DuPont, had my phone number at the time in Bedford, 275-6840, and in bold capital letters, last resort. So if they could find no one else in the world, call this guy. I think that's great. I mean, that should have been oh, a vanity this... plate for you or something. <laughs> yeah, last resort. I think there's a restaurant. Isn't there a Dick's Last Resort? It used to be Dick's Last Resort. I don't know if they're still in business there. The staff is rude to you on purpose. So, uh, so. I, I, will, I, I, will, I will link this to a story 12 years later, which I haven't even thought of until now. So 12 years later, I was, I was working at the New York Times what was I doing there? I was covering Rangers, mostly Islanders, Rangers, Islanders, Devils, Yankees, and Mets. So, you know, tons and tons of game stories. And the Globe had to hire a hockey writer. Uh, Vince Doria was the boss. And Al Morganti was their choice. Oh, yeah. And Al was a good friend of mine. And now Al wasn't one of George's students at BU, but he was a fellow student at BU. And I had kind of recruited Al into the, into the copy boy coterie. So Al had experience at the Globe as a copy boy, got to know Vince. Vince really liked him as, as well he should. And that was Vince's, uh, Vince's choice for the job opening, which frankly I had not applied for because I was quite happy at the times. Uh, anyway, Al accepted it and turned it down. Al, Al has subsequently gone on to a very, very successful broadcast yeah. career in, uh, from Needham originally in, uh, in Philadelphia. Made, made a good long, it, at that point when Vince was recruiting him to the Globe, he was the Flyers beat guy for the Philadelphia Inquirer, which was a really nice job at the time. Anyway, Al, Al was in the midst of getting married. The wife didn't want to come here. Carol didn't want to come here. He took it because this was his dream job. He turned it down. And finally, after, I think, three acceptances and three turns down, Vince said, that's enough. And Vince called me and offered it. And I can remember Vince basically saying, all I ask you is, you know, it's fine if you don't want it, but if you take it, take it. Right. Well, it took me about eight seconds to say yes. Right. Yeah. But the truth of it is, I went from last resort to to, to really second choice, a deep yeah. second choice. To, to Still, though, I mean, you yeah, know, no. that, to go from the New York Times to the Boston Globe, I mean, it's just. Two, I mean, well-established, long-running papers, both still going, chugging along, you know. And New York Times, in my opinion, is the king, right? The king. Yeah, right king. now I would say uh, it, it was then. It was. It, I would say right now it's. They've had a phenomenal turnaround financially. Uh, uh, right now, the the two best 
the two best print properties in the country. And I say print predominantly. That's yeah. what the reputation is. But from a digital standpoint, uh, from a journalistic standpoint, none better than the Washington Post and the New York Times. New York Times has really de-emphasized sports. It's a whole different world. They don't have beat reporters as as, as the Globe still does. Washington Post still does in terms of, you know, the Globe. The Globe has every has a, has a beat reporter at every practice, every home, every away game of, of the home of the home teams, and I don't, I don't think there's another paper in the country or in North America because this would include Canada as well. Uh, we we're the only paper that still does that. That that was a standard in the business to be at every practice, preseason yeah. right to the finish. Uh, be at every practice and be at every game, home and away, uh, you know, which has nothing to do with me. That's that's well, basically John Henry is willing to pay. Yeah. Uh, the daily blurbs, though, Bruins Notebook, when it would be updates on injuries, you know, stuff correct. like that. Just little tidbits, you know, and it was that stuff was great. I've always enjoyed that. It just gives you a little more insight into the team that the common person doesn't get. And that's the beauty of. Like you said, covering the team, being with the team at all times. Yeah, just I, 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 I only wish the access was better. Uh, yeah, yeah, I'm sure that would make it a lot. Yeah, for sure. Especially uh, when, about, just to continue that thought, and I'll get no, off. Go ahead. Especially when you're the only media entity that is spending the money to be there. Yeah, you know, spending spending the money to travel to be there. You know, the, the car, the rental cars, the airplanes, the meals the time the personal because the biggest commodity of all yeah you you, as the writer you end up working typically and well game days are usually 14 hour days from a work standpoint but they're minimum on the road they're they're minimum 10 hour work days day after day it's 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 a huge investment Uh, so you would you would hope for making that investment the team would recognize that and respond in kind but they really don't something you said too uh in that that just triggered me in that triggered my memory in that um that that interview you did on with concord you talked about how one of the least amount of things as a writer that you do is write and 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 i never thought of it that way but especially before the internet chasing down the phone call standing in the locker room all that stuff added up. I it just never it never entered into my equation. And I'm sure for a lot of people, they don't think about it that way. You think a reporter, you're sitting at a typewriter or a keyboard now, and you're just pounding out your story like I do a blog, right? I don't have to talk to anybody. But it's a, it's a very different game. And it's just was something, it's just a way of looking at something that I never never thought of prior to that article. Yeah, like you're saying, with all yeah, that time. It, it, and effort. Yeah, there's, there's, there's the, the, the investment of time in terms of getting to and watching and talking but it's also it's also a lot of time too thinking before you get there uh, so it's always on your mind the sun, when i've done these sunday notes now for 40 years i guess yeah uh, that's always in your mind that friday six o'clock is coming up now it has been a little better for me in recent years because i i share that with my partner matt porter he he does a lot of the Sunday notes. Porter does a great job. Yeah, he really he does. does. He does a wonderful job. So we we get to split that up. I get to do my off-ball, off-beat columns 
or sometimes goofball <laughs> columns uh, in, on Second Thought, which I try not to make hockey because I can write hockey all the time. Um, so yeah, there's there's this there's this constant mental energy investment going on, even before you start to talk about ten and eight and ten and twelve and sometimes fourteen hour workdays. But the truth of the matter is, to go, to go back where you started, uh, that investment is far greater than the writing investment. Yeah. The, the writing ends up almost a luxury. But finally, I get to. I get to do what I'm supposedly paid for, uh, but you're paid for you're paid for more than anything. You're paid to think, uh, and you're paid to be right. And the the for those of us, and I, there there aren't as many of us now who really take a pride in in the written word and the phrasing and 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 working the words into a into a cogent, comprehensible, enjoyable, sometimes the word humorous uh, it's almost lyrical yeah yeah lyrical sometimes you hope uh there there isn't as much investment in that as there used to be when when i got there when when i when shaughnessy and i and this were walking through the door and it was ray fitzgerald and lee monfield and gammons on the baseball and ryan there was a real investment and pride in the crafting of words use of use of words, construction of stories uh, that isn't, the, the appreciation really isn't there as much as it used to be by, by, by a long stretch. And the demands are different. When, when we were writing then, we were, we were writing ideally for one edition. So you, you worked all day, you took three or four or five hours, whatever you needed to write it the way you wanted to write it, thought it through, worked the words and now with your left hand you're writing for the digital or the, the digital uh, product and in many ways the pulp product or the paper the next day's paper uh, industry-wide is has become devalued because there's this constant push of be on it now get it up first uh yeah be the first the the irony the underlying irony to all that is or overriding irony is i don't think the consumer appreciates or cares or remembers who was first that they 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 remembered it more when it was just a print product so if i had a yeah for sure if i had a scoop in the wednesday morning paper wbz radio picked it up and credited the globe or credited the herald when i was there that doesn't exist anymore. Every every, it, it, you get the scoop and you have it for maybe five minutes, and then it, everybody's run down the road with it. Everyone's reporting it. In some cases, they'll cite the original source. Uh, often they won't. Nobody. I don't think anybody really cares. I don't think the consumer cares who's first. You, you the consumer will like- care when you're first and you're wrong. Oh yeah, for sure. Love. For sure. Oh yeah. They love oh, yeah. to pile on. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you jerk. Yeah. Oh yeah. Ask Don Sweeney about that, what that's like. Uh, or Tuca for that matter. Um, you touched on a few things that I wanted to ask you about. Um, well, the first thing back to Matt Porter and what you were saying, he's great with his clips that he puts up on Twitter of yes. goals or a funny play. And 
I'll I'll embed them sometimes in blogs, and I always am very careful to make sure his credit is there in my article. Oh, good. So yeah, so some of us do. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> some of us do. Um, yeah. I wanted to ask when you were talking about Shaughnessy and all the other legends of writing that you were at the Glo- or back when you were uh, when it, the print was the game. The whole the whole theory of steel sharp and seal. Did you guys do you feel like a push to each other, the competitive nature of it a little bit? To oh no question, yeah, no question, yeah. And, and I was always really curious about that. Borges, I, I often meet. Oh, Ron, Ron Borges, yes, yeah. And, and I'll meet him for coffee and we'll you know, Dunkin' Donuts. But he's Ron he, Borges he famously not, called the Buster Douglas win over Mike Tyson. Yes, yeah. He predicted he, ahead of time. He'll often talk about. Uh, being in the office on a Friday, and, and you're supposed to have those huge Sunday notes uh, columns in by, well, supposed to be in by five o'clock Friday. The editing staff, which has now been diminished probably by two thirds, copy yeah. copy reading, copy editing, they they would prefer you get it in by Wednesday noon uh, to to make the process easy. But in those days, we had a huge Friday night editing staff copy reading staff so you could you could stretch that deadline as late i I will say as late as you want the bosses would disagree with that but you could go into the eve well into the evening and if you had something really good working you could go to the next morning or go to go till noon uh on saturday for that sunday paper which as you remember it was this thick oh yeah where am i oh yeah right yeah uh so uh but Borges often says about being in the office on Friday afternoon. And again, if you were in town, you were in the office because that's the way you did it. Working on a typewriter and banging it on a typewriter and having the sense of, I want my notes to be better than Willie, who's doing the, the football, right? Right. Uh, I want mine to be better than Ryan, who's doing the basketball. So, yeah, there was a real, real pride. Not that you were competing against each other. But the bar, by because of it was Gammons and Ryan who started those Sunday notes columns in the late 60s, that, that really was a standard in the industry. And for those of us who inherited the responsibility, uh, we took that seriously. Yeah. So it wasn't necessarily a competition against each other as it was just wanting to maintain the standard. And, and again, most papers in the country have abandoned those Sunday notes packages. Yeah, no, it, it, they were always great. I just remember them being so phenomenal. And I, when I moved uh, down to Florida at one point, and I remember getting the paper, and I'm like, wait, what, what, where, what is this? <laughs> you know, it was, yeah, it was right. a big awakening. It was a, well, a lot of things in Florida are like that, but it was a big awakening. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, you, you also touched upon the second thoughts column. Do, do you, is it pretty much whatever you want at this point? Anything that strikes your fancy? Yeah, that's what it's always been. So I've been doing that for about 12 years now, 12 or 13 years. Uh, no guardrails, let the writer write kind of thing. No, I, I suppose I could go off. The, I suppose I could go over the guardrails and they might they might call me <laughs> on it, but that hasn't happened, uh, including I think I did lingerie women's football when that was a thing. Oh, jeez, yeah. Do you remember yeah. that? It was a lingerie. I think it might still be going, actually. I think that really? might yeah. still be alive, yeah. I'm surprised it's not packing stadiums in the current <laughs> well, atmosphere of the country. This might be my best segue ever, 
but uh, you lived through Title IX. So <laughs> yes, yes, the the the, the impl impl implementation of women's equal rights in sports. Yep. Um, yep. Like I said, I covered the Northeastern women's hockey team, and it's great as a as a father of a young young girl. It's great for her to have these players and athletes to look up to. And yep. if you could just touch upon that when you were, you know, as it was happening. Well, I have a direct Title IX story, which which. If, yeah, if, bring them. If, 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 the, <laughs> if the pins had fallen differently, I certainly wouldn't be here talking to you today. So uh, I mentioned being a copy boy at the, at the Globe. So I started in 73 working for Ernie Roberts, who was a sports editor. Uh, and Ernie, in his, in his prior life, had been the sports information director at Dartmouth. And sports information director used to be a really good job. Uh, it's not to say that it isn't today, but it's vastly, vastly underappreciated from what it was in its day. So if you were the SID, sometimes they say DSI, but if you were the, the SID at Harvard or Dartmouth, uh, especially the Ivies, they were good gigs. You didn't get rich, but they paid you okay. And you, you, were, in a good, you were in a good environment. It was solid work. Free tuition was, for your kid if they can get in too, uh, right? Maybe. Yeah. It might have been. I, I certainly, at the age of 22, when I thought I was going to be the assistant SID at Dartmouth, uh, I wasn't thinking about that. <laughs> so uh, Ernie hears from Jack DeGange, who's the SID who succeeded him, that they need someone. Could he recommend anybody? Ernie recommended me. Up I go. And this is probably... A month after I've graduated from BU, so this would have been May, June, Jul maybe July in, in 75. I go up, I meet Jack, and again, Ernie, Ernie had greased the skids for this, so, yeah, I, you know, I suppose I wouldn't have been hired, but not to be hired or offered the job, I probably would have had to drive the car into the, into the, into the arena or something. <laughs> Meet Jack. It's wonderful. Handshake. Takes me home. Meet the wife. Have the grilled cheese sandwiches in the kitchen. The whole thing. Shakes my hand. Welcome. Welcome aboard. Great. Just like I talked about driving 90 miles an hour down the down the pike the night I started as a copy boy. I'm thrilled. I've got a I've got a job. And if I can remember correctly, I think it was. I think it was going to pay twelve thousand a year, which is pretty good money at the time. Yeah, back then it was good money. Yeah, try to remember. Tu tuition then was not three thousand dollars. <laughs> tuition at an Ivy League college in 1975 was not three thousand dollars. I was going to be making twelve. Anyway, right. I'm getting too caught up. In <laughs> I, dr I drive home. I'm ready to tell my folks. Not only was it worth going to college, I've got a job. I've got a real job. As I'm walking into this, I lived in Bedford. My folks lived in Bedford. That's where I grew up. The phone is ringing in my parents' house. That same number, oh, 2756840. Pick it up. Oh, my mother picked it up. It's, it's Mr. DeGan. She'd like to talk to you. Oh, hey, Jack. How are you? Great. And then <laughs> the next 60 seconds went. I don't know how to tell you this, Kevin, oh. but they're, ma they're making me hire a woman. 
And that was a big deal at the time. That was a big deal at the time. So I went from full hire to being back on the schoolboys with Dan and Lyle. <laughs> <laughs> That's a slide, one of those sliding door moments, right? Yeah. Yeah. But but, but my experience most with, with Title IX directly because I, I, I started full-time day-to-day journalism in 77. Same with Shaughnessy. Shaughnessy started in Baltimore with the Baltimore Evening Sun. I started a few weeks later at the, at the Boston Herald. Uh, we both went right into the uh, writing in the pro sports world uh, and baseball mostly or almost exclusively for both of us. Uh, so I wasn't around Title IX in terms of the colleges and everything. But yeah. I wasn't. I, I, I was to the extent that watching Leslie, uh, Leslie Visser, slowly be welcomed into the world, and then of course you know went went and kicked ass with him. She did a great job. Yeah. So it was really because when I started, there were no women, no women in the press box, and and mostly this. I'm talking Red Sox now in 77, 78, 79. It was by and large uh, middle-aged to senior staff writers for all these papers. And for those of us who came in as white males, again, because there were no blacks either. Larry Whiteside was an African-American hired by the Globe. And Larry was the only, am I right about that? Yeah, Larry was the only African-American in in, the, in Boston and among the very few in America. But no women and not welcomed. And that, that was, it. my point is, not only the, were the women not welcomed, those of us like me especially, and I'm not going to go into this because it's just, I don't, in some ways it's too painful, but to be the young white kid on the, on the Red Sox beat was a very unpleasant experience uh, among uh, the some some of the senior coterie in that press box. Yeah. Which and, and I have I have lived my professional life not trying uh, uh, doing everything I can to welcome kids in because right. of that experience. <laughs> Yeah, because I've heard some, it was some of those horror stories. Yeah, it was not not very nice at all. It's and it's and like, it was it's the whole. Go ahead. I'm sorry. No, it was really and it was hard to see at the time. Even though I I did underneath, I understood it. It, it was it was based on insecurities, yeah. and and it was the it was the premier beat in town. It, arguably, arguably, it still is to be the Red Sox beat guy. I was that at age 24, 25. Those who had worked their way up um, and didn't get to it until they were middle age or later, because that's the way the system was then, uh, some of them, not all, but some of them resented it. And it wasn't just me. There were others, too. Uh, you could say a lot of the world's problems are based on insecurity right now. Um, it would be a lot It would be a lot easier without it. Uh, yeah. We talked about the Red Sox. Uh, I know you were a baseball guy, or at least I know from reading the interviews, you were a baseball guy growing up. Was there a player that you, when you played, that you patterned your game after? Someone that you would looked up to as a kid? 
as a player, me? Yeah, yeah. When you played, yeah. I mean, I loved Lonborg. Uh, okay, I pitched. I pitched. I love Lonborg, but he, not not alone. I mean, there were there were great pitchers of that in in, in that era before Juan Marichal, uh, Whitey Ford. But my my favorite at the time was was Lon because he was just he was bright. He went to Stanford. Most of all, until he blew out his knee on a on a ski hill. Uh, you know, he won the Cy Young in '67. He was a tremendous pitcher, a tremendous competitor, and you know, classic style. But but again, was I was I even? I wasn't even. I was a rinky dink high school pitcher with a with a rinky dink. Yeah, curve. but. <laughs> That's Ooh. irrelevant, though. It's almost it's. Yeah. I love talking to people, no matter what walk of life, how successful in athletics or not. You ask them who they like looked up to as a kid playing that game, and everybody remembers. Everybody knows. That just gets great. And, and the the other one, and again, this this is ludicrous in terms of comparison, because I because I I, I couldn't hit anything, <laughs> but watching Yastrzemski that summer of '67 and what yeah. he did day to day to day especially in september uh, that, that was I, i've never seen that performance matched in any sport or was the best of his era but and had obviously had great seasons many of them but for you know what that franchise what the red sox franchise had been and he hmm. he was really the segue athlete from 1960 1961 inherited the job from Ted uh, when and in those years I was going to the ballpark with my dad 62 63 64 65 when they were dreadful and the season was over by Memorial Day uh, the only the only reason to be the only reason to stay in the ballpark after say the fifth inning was that you knew Yaz was coming up or that Dick Raddatz would be coming out of the bullpen those those really the only and there were they Dalton Jones came along in a beautiful swing you know there were there were other players I liked, but you know I, I marveled over. And it, it, it was interesting too that so by '77, which is ten years later after the crazy summer of '67, I was covering the team. I was covering Yastrzemski. Uh, that that was a little that was a little weird to be covering him day to day, and having just been in awe of him, uh, and. I, I, I had one of these moments too. I, 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 have a, I have trouble with my years now, but late '70s, early '80s, when Henry Aaron was with the Brewers and he came in, I, I can remember talking to Aaron, and I, I thought the world of him and his career. So to be around certain athletes at the time, there was sort of this awe barrier that you had to get over. I was going to ask you about that. I was going to ask you if you if you still get like. You know, you we talked before we were recording about how you you know you taught you knew Gretzky and I wonder is there are there still like those moments when you're like holy smokes this is so and so. Not anymore, no, and and not for. I've been at it as I say for forty odd years. Right. I, I would say probably not for the last twenty. I mean, I certainly appreciate what right. they do, and and uh, uh, you know. I, 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 I'm not a fan of this. In, you know, 
this is an interesting discussion if you ever get Ryan on about Bob Ryan about being a fan and being okay about being a fan. Certainly, I'm a fan of the industry. I'm a fan of certain players in terms of appreciating what they do. Am I a fan, as as if you will, as being a fanboy? No, you really can't can't do the job. I think you have to appreciate what they do. I think you have to get excited about being at good games and watching great plays and watching great performances. And if you can't get there, then you really should leave. But no, I, not in terms of an athlete's profile. And, and that said, not to sound jaundice about this, but there's, there's just not that many likable people in, in the player <laughs> in the player pool anymore. Uh, Patrice Bergeron is very likable, very honest, good guy. Uh, I felt that way. They're, they're different people. They're different personalities. But I always appreciated Tuca in that sense, too. Tuca's, ask him anything, blunt, blunt in his self-assessment. And, and hockey players in general, or by and large, are very self-critical. Uh, you know, very different than baseball. <laughs> you can, it, it's almost, Dan and I, have, Shaughnessy, we've had many discussions about this. It's like, you really can't kick them in the rear end. They've already kicked themselves in the rear end right? in most cases. They, they you know, they're honest. They, they, they call us. So when you go in and say, well, lack of a better expression here, well, you really screwed that up. They know it. They yeah. know it. So I have this, this longstanding theory about hockey players, pro hockey players, especially. It's such a commitment from the entire family or family unit, uh, if there is not a traditional family for these guys to make it to the NHL that I just feel that there's a lot there. It's a lot more appreciative of what their parents went through, the rides, the struggles. And, and I feel like some of the other sports, everything's handed to them. Yeah. The cost. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, Interesting. Yeah. No, No and again, you know, if you, if, 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 if we were talking about kids from the Dominican who, who grew up in, in basically shacks, uh, you know, Mm. cement brick, uh, cinder block shacks and, and, and grass. And, and, and that's true. I mean, that's, that's not fantasy. A lot of the Dominican kids uh, are from, are from real poverty. Uh, so uh, I've always contended that if the sport is, is humbling, typically you get humble athletes. Uh, football is humbling. Uh, boxing is humbling. Boxing is again, you're in an industry to get punched in the face. <laughs> Hockey is humbling. Baseball is not. I would, you know, there are bad days in baseball. You strike out five times, but physically you're not. You're not beaten up like you are. In no hockey. jeopardy. You're right. Jeopardy is, is a great way to put it. It's it's just yeah. a, it's a different world. And uh, I would say too, basketball. You don't get beaten up. So. If, if you look at those industries, my personal opinion is, if, if you look at the if you look at the industries in terms of individual sports that are humbling, that you get beaten up, and you get you get knocked down to your really knocked down to your cookies, uh, those are those are the better athletes to deal with. 
I, I also do love, you mentioned Tuca. I do love how uh, on Twitter every once in a while, no matter what the topic is, you, you hit him with a Tuca's fault. I, yeah. I love that reply when you do that. It just cracks me up every time. Yeah, I apply that to everything. If if there's yeah, a, it's great. If there's a meteor about to strike Earth, right? That's Tuca's yeah. fault. Yeah, hashtag Tuca's fault. Uh, I do want to. I do want to get to the current state of the team, um, and ask you uh, your thoughts on and as little or as much as you want to get into this about uh, Bruce Cassidy's exit. Uh, okay. It was a shock, to say the least. Um, there's been a lot of scuttlebutt around the team. The players tuned him out. He was too hard on the guys, this, that, and the other. I'm not asking you for, you know, I'm just asking your opinion and what you feel or if you have any feelings or opinions on it. Uh, yeah, sure I do. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and uh, I, I'm not going to say that I'm conflicted, but there, there, there were there – were, he had a very short shelf life in Washington in his first go round. Yeah. Uh, and there, there, there were some stern critiques from players at the time. Um, I heard a Bates Battaglia interview that just lit him up. Really? I, I haven't heard that one. Yeah. Bates Battaglia played for him in Washington and couldn't go, couldn't get more, couldn't go more out of his way to criticize Cassidy than if, if he was paid to do it. It was unbelievable. So uh, I, I have no doubt that there's some rub mm -hmm. from, from the rank and file uh, with, with his style. Now, so many parts to this, but from a media standpoint, best coach I've ever worked with. Very honest, open. Honest, open, critical, but not, not, uh, but genuine. Also, it, quite clear that any any critique you were hearing from him of player performance, it was very clear the players had heard the same thing straight from his mouth for a very long time. So I feel like that's why the fans liked him too. Yeah, the, the part that the fan might miss is not only would not only in terms of his media relationship, not only would he answer the question. In many, in many instances, he would take the question to another dimension and answer that. So I, I, I was among the entire field who would tell you that he came away countless times with better material than I thought I had or, or that I thought I was seeking. And again, he wasn't, he really wasn't letting trade secrets out or it wasn't, it was just about... This is what you're seeing. I'll answer that, but you know, that 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 would lead to another, a, a whole other analysis by him. He would be, in my opinion, he would be superb on television. Uh, oh, as like an analyst, as an analyst, or as you know, uh, pre, uh, the lead analyst for whatever ESPN. I, I I think he's making five million a year now, or four million, four million and change in Vegas. Those jobs, most of those jobs don't pay that well. They pay okay. They, certainly by, by Prince standards, they pay very well. Um, <laughs> but again, he's. I think he's got a chance to be a Hall of Fame coach, uh, making a bundle of money. I was surprised it was Vegas. I figured he'd probably end up in Detroit uh, for, for a variety of reasons. Uh, so 
I, 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 I can understand, so to go back to the start of your question, I can understand players being disgruntled. I can understand management getting tired of listening to players being disgruntled and saying, we're going to move on. I, I don't have any proof of what I'm about to say. But my belief in this instance. Well, this is when me and when we do the podcast. This is when we go allegedly, allegedly, allegedly. Yeah, it's not even allegedly. This is this is this is tea leaves. My tea leaves are all right. This part's not tea leaves. My tea, this isn't tea leaves. Which is Cassidy contends he was told right after the season he's coming back. Yeah, I read that as well. Right. Uh, only only to find out two or three weeks two or three weeks later. He ain't coming back. Right. So right, right. Uh, what happened? My gut read here is Charlie is the representative, ownership representative, principal, Charlie Jacobs. I think he got I think Charlie got some heat from the old man in Buffalo, who's in his who's eighty two now, going on eighty three. And I think my feeling is Charlie put some heat on Cam and and Sweeney and said, "You got to do something." What are they going to do? You right. know, there's, there's, they're not going to fire themselves, right? There's there's no magic wand and presto presto to make this a better roster. So what can yeah. you do? You fire the coach. It's the oldest oldest trick in the book. Because no. truth truth be told, if you look at the performances of the team president in Neely, the general manager in Sweeney, and the coach in Cassidy. You can easily make the case he had a better year than the other two. Easily Fair. make yeah. that case. Yep. Right. Uh, you can make that case over the last three years. Correct. I, yeah. I don't know. I mean, some yeah. some of it is in between, right? But this year, I thought especially, uh, what what have they really added? Where are the prospects uh, in the old world? And I'm not saying this is right. In the old world, would Jake DeBrus ask for a trade? Harry Sindham would have had him out of here in less than 48 hours, yep. maybe less than 24. Would yep. it have been the right answer? Not based on the Tom Fergus deal, but it would have been the answer. He wouldn't he wouldn't have tolerated it. And Didn't, if you say you don't want to if you don't want to wear the uniform, guess what? You won't you're wear, not it. wear it. Didn't right. Harry didn't he didn't he threaten to drive Joey Juno to the airport at one time? I vaguely remember something along those no, lines. The, the, the Joey Juno story, and I was there for this one. Uh, Joey Juno was their property from the draft. It was the 92 Olympics. We were in France in Albertville. Harry was there. And Juno was debating whether he would sign in Boston or go play in Switzerland. Oh, right. And that, that was the famous Harry quote, well, I hope he learns to yodel. That's right. That's right. <laughs> yeah. He didn't really care what Joe Juno was saying or his agent at the time. I think was I think it was Donnie Me, and I could be wrong. Uh, he must have been one of the him. best guys to cover as a reporter, as a GM. Oh, the best. Yeah, I mean, so, there were some uncomfortable days where he was in your face yeah. and didn't like, and and was, and, and frankly, to go over some very old material. This is twenty years now. Uh, objected ardently. That I was in, that I that I was uh, going into the Hall of Fame. Uh, oh, really? <laughs> yeah, and made a case that it's really not the Hall of Fame. Of course, my good chuckle there was my good pal at the Lowell Sun, uh, no, Lawrence Eagle Tribune, uh, Russ Conway, who preceded me yep. into the Hall of Fame, 
when he got in the Hall of Fame, Harry gave him a, a beautiful crystal, congratulated him, gave him a big hug. That's <laughs> well he should, you know. Yeah. Welcome yeah. into the Hall of Fame. A couple of years later, when it's me, you know, uh, it's all wrong. That said, you know, Harry's coming up on 90. Uh, I admire the job he did yeah. for a long time. I, and I, I yearn, yearn for the day when the general manager would return your call or sometimes even anticipate your call and call you and and, and fill up your notebook because he, he was he was a great quote uh, witness the yodel quote which Brian Burke reminds me of him to a degree oh right no question yeah. right from this right from <laughs> Brian Burke who I'm, I'm, I'm fairly friendly with Brian uh, because he was an agent uh, out of went to Harvard went played at Providence College went to Harvard Law School pretty much because Lou Lamorello told him he should any better. And, and when, when he, because everybody when Lou, in the NHL does what Lou says. It's amazing Lou, to me. When Lou Lamorello <laughs> handed him the application to go to Harvard Law School, Berkey said, thanks, Lou, I'll think about it. And Lou said, no, you won't. You will fill it out now. Yeah. So this is not optional. <laughs> so, so anyway, uh, Brian Burke and I are at a level where insults each way are expected. And there was some, there was something I wrote or I wrote to him in an email about just yet another brilliant idea I had about the hockey industry. And he wrote back, clearly your talents are wasted on a keyboard. (laughs) It's like the, it's the dryness. It's, you know, it's, it's perfect. It's perfect. (laughs) He kills me. I love how they tell him he has to wear a tie. So he never ties it. I just, it's yeah, one yeah, of those yeah. things. I just absolutely love that. It's, yeah, you yeah, see, see. They, they are right from the same school. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> uh, although Harry did not go to Harvard Law. I'm not sure right. Harvard, Harry, Harry was pretty much a product of the Canadian system at the time, which was, you know, get, get to junior as soon as you can. And, but that said, he was, he was, he was and is, even as he's coming up on 90, a brilliant hockey mind. He and I have not spoken in years uh, for a variety of reasons. Some of some of them relating to 20 years ago, when he was, uh, he, you know, by my by my read and those of many others, uh, being a total jerk about someone who was critical of him and and his product uh, shouldn't be going to the Hall of Fame. But again, uh, that's that's the world I live in. And well, it's the accountability critical. we talked about too. You were it's still the, there, it's the yeah. right? It's being the, it's being accountable. It's being honest about the product. And the truth be told, and I know this from those who lived with him on the job, he was at least that critical of his own team. Anything oh, yeah. I was saying, he was saying t- times three, five, ten. But right. his nature, his personality, and I admire him for this: is my team right or wrong? Right. Yeah. So if you're going to attack the team or if you're going to critique the team, he takes that personally and he sticks up for his team. But that's that, that's that's an old world, old world. But I, uh, you gave me another value. perfect segue when you, you mentioned DeBrusque asking for the trade. 
which led us to talking about Harry and Burke. Uh, the state of the team going forward. Where do you? What's your opinion? Where do you? Where do you see them this year coming up? With you know, this is a great question. Back, and I, first round back. Yeah, this is a great question, and I, I, I'll say this too. We'll we'll have to wrap up here. Yeah. Uh, no. I, yeah. Uh, so in the immediate, uh, I I think I, I think they could be touch and go for the playoffs this year. Uh, I, I don't see them as a hundred point team. And and I have one caveat. This this is, this is, I would say this is a cheap caveat because it's 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 what what the business is. If Swayman is really ready to seize the job, and if Swayman could be, let's be ridiculous in the moment, if he could be dominant, if he could be Dominic Hasek good, then that changes everything. Yeah. And there there was a lot that I saw of. His performance, demeanor, technique, uh, confidence—going back to demeanor—that that made me excited about what he could be. Now, <laughs> if, you, if you watch this industry enough, yeah. almost every almost every year, there's five or six kids who who had a great year. Thinking of the Hart kid in Philadelphia. Oh, yeah. Had a great year. Thinking of the kid who went, who had the really good uh, run here with St. Louis, Bennington. Bennington, right? yeah. They, they're great. They look, they look uh, Vesna worthy, or they're Vesna winners. And the next year, they're barely in the top third. Right. So, I, I don't know where he's going to land, other than to say I was very impressed with him. So, if he were to actually blossom into a, an elite goaltender, then yeah, maybe they're a hundred point team. But if, if it's going to be a split with with uh, Swayman and Olmark, and I don't see that any of these kids are ready to step in and, and really grasp primetime roles. Uh, uh, Bergeron and Krejci are great players, but they're 36, 37 yeah. years old now. Uh, I'm, I'm not optimistic about where they're going to play. And they've got other concerns other than what I've talked about. Among them, they've they still haven't addressed uh, a player with substance and toughness to replace what Kevin Miller was yeah. on the back end. Uh, I think they're weak back there. I was I was really hoping that, and I'm fine if they trade DeBrusque. I didn't like what I saw this year and how that was handled. I really Thank like you. Carlo. You and me both. <laughs> yeah, I really like Carlo for the play for the person he is and the player he is. He's, he's yeah. fine. He's a he's a he's, he's he's a fine second pairing guy. But if they could have bundled up that eight eight and a half million, and and added a different forward with some, you know, spit and vinegar, added a defenseman who's who's somewhat in that Miller camp. I'd feel better about them, but I think I think they're vulnerable. I think they're very vulnerable at a number of places. I don't think they're going to be a better team in terms of points than they were. And uh, we the shall injuries see. they have to overcome the pipeline is not what it should be. Although this kid Lysel could light the world on fire. Who knows? But, yeah, I don't. I, and again, I, he's 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 added some weight. But when you see him, if I hate to say this, but you see him stripped down. You see him in the room. Uh, he, he's he still he still has a high school build. Yeah, at least at least he did last year. 
I'm, I'm eager to see what he looks like when he comes in this year. But he's I don't think he's ever going to be uh, just looking at his DNA in terms of his structure. I don't I don't think he's ever going to be uh, a, a very strong player. He's fast. Uh, if he if he's if he's game strong, that's fine. Uh, if he if he can be game strong, conditioned, uh, and not brittle, all those things. I mean, l- hey, let's 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 be honest. I saw Johnny Goudreau when he was in college, very small, right. also right, right. a high school body, but uh, game strong, obviously, and super set of skills. Oh, for Pasternak, Pasternak came in the same way, right? To a degree, yeah. Pa- Pasternak's a different build, though. Pasternak does have a stock here. Yeah, yeah. What's uh, the word I'm looking for? Not girth, but but he's he's got a solid build. Yeah, he's got a, There was there are some there are some players. That they're they're going to look like high school players to the very end. Uh, that's that's just that's just what they got. So, but Pasternak had had more of an adult build. I guess that's the best best way to put it. So. Outside of Swayman seizing the role, uh, you, so you're basically that's their, their only ticket to the playoffs. You would say? I wouldn't say it's the only ticket uh, because they they can get they can get dependable. What I'm saying is, if he were really to come in and light it up and be a true, all of a sudden, hey, they've got Marty Brodeur, they've got Hashim. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've seen strains in him in, in what's still a very small sample size. I think he can be a great goaltender. I think he can be a legit number one goaltender, as as we saw with Tuca. So if he can yep. be that player, yeah, then then sure, yeah, because the goaltender can, the goaltender can be that good. The goaltender can make that much of a difference. Uh, Look at 2011. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right? exactly, I mean, yeah. exactly. Yeah, and then one hell of a playoff performance by Thomas. So right. that that that's my caveat. Beyond that, I just think they're. Uh, they're a team that's going to that's going to be struggling to keep to keep up with seven other teams in the East. Greatly, some of them are greatly improved as well. Exactly, and my point. And again, hey, uh, look where they were. They 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 were a hundred point team that got in as one of the as one of the wild cards, not one of the seeded teams. Right. And again, right. the difference the difference in there was I don't know five six points between yeah. a whole bunch of teams, but they, they weren't Toronto. You know, they, they, they got in with the caps. Uh, there's the, the, the Rangers, the Rangers should be better. They finally got some confidence. There's, there's Tampa is Tampa. Uh, they, they, they lose players because of Florida. The yeah. Florida's in there. Florida's now got Kachuk. Uh, this just, <laughs> It's a, it's a very tough conference. They could easily miss out. Easily. All right, so I know I've kept you along. I just want to hit you with these. We call them our lightning round real fast at the end here. Oh, if you have a, not a always, minute or two. Not always my strength, but go ahead. <laughs> All right. Favorite cartoon character? Oh, Yosemite Sam, Foghorn, nice. Leghorn. Uh, outside of Boston, your favorite and least favorite NHL rinks to visit? Not so much the rinks, but the cities. I'll go with cities right, yeah. here if that's okay. Yeah, uh, Vancouver, Vancouver, number one, one uh, uh, A, 
uh, for obvious reasons, Quebec City, uh, Chicago. Chicago is a wonderful city. And let me think of some others. Ford and Philly. Uh, I, probably not all that popular, but I'll say MSG because of the because of the Rangers and the experience. And I, I worked a, yeah. a whole lot of the games there in my New York Times days. And uh, and Calgary. I, I love being in Calgary. The building's a bit dated now, but they really they really like their hockey. Oh, I, yeah. I like I like that building from a working standpoint. Not 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 all my brotherhood would agree because it's this <laughs> it's this sort of catwalk you have to go out. So those of us and there are many who have that sort of problem with the height thing. I've, I've yeah, never yeah. had that, so I kind of like that. <laughs> um, your a go-to pizza topping. Well, it, it's it's always been pepperoni, and I've just tried ardently, and finally rewired my brain in the last six months to be more plant-based, ah. uh, which which frankly I'm glad I did. Uh, I'm enjoying that. So these days it's it's more uh, onion and garlic. Okay. Uh, your best worst interview or athlete interaction. <laughs> Worst would be Cashman when he put me up against a wall and stuck a stick blade under my throat, threatened me, threatened me with his pals in the parking lot. That was that was by far the worst. I was hoping you were going to say that actually because I yeah. remember hearing about that. <laughs> yeah, best. Boy, I don't know. I, I can tell you, I've I've had the pleasure of working with some wonderful, considerate, thoughtful athletes. Two, two that come to mind. One I've mentioned, Bergeron, a fellow Quebecer and Jean Rattel. Oh yeah, uh, Peter McNabb, a joy. Terry O'Reilly, excellent. Milbury, a whole different, a whole different category with Milbury. Uh, but I, but I always enjoyed that that exercise. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, not every interview with him was like verbal sparring. Yeah, yeah. Uh, my baseball days, I, I always enjoyed Tiant and Therese. Uh, I know, some of you, some frankly, I, I should be filling in some names here because not all your, not no, all. Oh no, your, listen, they can look them up. Remember these guys. This is yeah. returning. These returning. These guys. Louis Tiant, Mike Therese. I had a, I had very good rapport with Yastrzemski, uh, Carlton Fisk at the time when he was on oh, the yeah. team. Uh, trying to go by position. George Scott was fun. Uh, uh, yeah, as the outfielder. Lynn was a pain in the ass. Uh, Burleson <laughs> was a pain. Uh, I, I, I understand some of the, which is often the case, some of these guys have mellowed. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I could. could no, I those are great. Those are great. Just a, the, a couple more. The nice thing about oh, your yeah, question sorry. is, What's the, the, the good guys and the, and, the, and the professionals and the decent people far outnumber the jerks. That's always good to hear as well from a fan perspective. Um, Pan- oh, Bill, Lee. Bill Lee was waffles. among the best. Oh, Bill is a nice man. Yeah. yeah. Uh, pancakes or waffles? Uh, geez, these are great questions. 
But <laughs> I, I would say waffles loaded with chocolate chips. Of course, anything no. loaded with chocolate chips. <laughs> uh, just two more. Your off-season, fishing or golfing? Fishing or golfing? Yeah. Horrid at, at both. Uh, <laughs> I haven't fished in years. I should I should get back to it. I have golfed, and nobody, nobody on earth should, should see that, including <laughs> me. All right, last one. I ask everybody this one. Most famous person in your phone? Phonest person that what? The most famous person in your phone. Oh, my phone. In your in your Rolodex, who's your most? Yeah, famous? no, I I know. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Mine is now Bobby Carpenter because I got to interview him. Yeah, Bobby. <laughs> uh, I'm gonna go with a Bruin here. Uh, so who's? I guess Bork. That's a good one. That's Ray Bork. I, 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 I know, I, I I know, or is in the in. I know, or is in there too, but I'm pretty sure that number isn't working these days. <laughs> or I think I'm, I'm 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 I was told recently, he's changed that number. Ah. I, I have a feeling it's because of the, of the, of the Trump endorsement. Ah, probably. Uh, took a lot of flack. Took a lot of flack from that. This one I got to ask you off the uh, outside of the lightning, uh, Jerome McGinley. I end. He's my favorite player of all time. I end every yeah. podcast wishing him a God bless. Do you ever have interactions with him? Oh, sure. Because he was here. Right. Uh, di- didn't really get to know him. Uh, other than he was extremely. He was. He was. He was a. He was a prototypical pro, if you will, in terms of. Yep. Uh, you know, good, honest, but he was. He was here. He was here, if you will, in that new era where you really don't get to know them. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So I can't tell you I have a, have a strong I, – I, well, I can tell you. I don't have a strong relationship with him, but I don't know if anybody here did. Now, the guys in Calgary who were around him when he was a kid, all of that, that that's a different rapport. Right. Far different. But admired his game, admired his toughness, his skill. But I don't. I can't give you a good read on him. No, fair enough. I just had to ask. We we interviewed Bo Bennett a while back, and I asked him at the very end. I was like, "Hey, any Jerome McGinley stories?" And he went on to tell this unbelievable hot tub story and about him oh, and yeah, Jerome. Yeah. And yeah, like a big, like a real like NHL type story. It was hilarious. And uh, and I so now I like I said I end every podcast with uh, you know God bless him the glorious bastard wherever he is one of those kind of things <laughs> like a good night Mrs Calabash type of deal you know yeah 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 <laughs> I I, I, it, I will say in that spirit I don't have I don't have any hot tub story anywhere in my life <laughs> it wasn't mine tell. it was Paul Bennett <laughs> yeah 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 but well Kevin it, listen but, but I do have a tub story I'll give you a quick tub story All right, go ahead which is, yeah absolutely on that on that very first trip and this 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 is probably a good way to wrap this up. On that very first trip, so we went to Calgary and Vancouver and uh, L.A. I'm trying to think what else was in the loop, if any. Maybe St. Louis, maybe. Anyway, uh, I'm the new guy on the beat. Busick's still playing. Oh, yeah, yeah. Busick says to me, uh, listen, the boys will be back in the room. You know, this was the Vancouver. 
not only Vancouver, my favorite city, my favorite hotel is the Western Bayshore in Vancouver. It's a, it's a vastly different city than it was when I first went. And Busick said, you know, the, the guys will be in the room later and, and deadlines at, at 10 o'clock in Vancouver when you're working for an Eastern newspaper with a oh, 1 a.m. Yeah, deadline, yeah. 10 o'clock when the game ends, you end. The, the, the day is done because there's no later edition. Right. So you do running copy during the game. You throw a quote in at the very end and, and your night is done. So you're back in the hotel when the players are back in the hotel. Busick's, Busick either on the bus back or in the lobby says, you know, the, all the guys will be back in the room, his room later. Uh, come down, have a beer. Really? Yeah. Down I go. Uh, at this point, I'm 23, 24 years old. All those guys that I've seen on TV for years, or they're all in the room. Uh, no, Cashman, when I was talking to him, and <laughs> O'Reilly, and, and all of them. And the and the tub, the Busick's bathtub, was full of ice and full of beer. And so you, you grabbed the beer and you sat and shot the shit all night. Uh, so, again, you know, not happening today. Right. But what a, I mean, what a memory, though. Yeah. It yeah, was, that's it fantastic. Was good. And, and I've had, you know, it's, and, and I, I'm among the many uh, in the press corps who had a, a great, enduring, good relationship with Busick. Uh, and uh, now coming up on 90 years old, but a genuinely good guy. And it was fun. And again, I wasn't the only one. Bob Wilson was down there. Uh, I forget, uh, forget who he was doing the radio with those days. I got, I got to tell you this. I, I, I got to wrap up here, but I will yeah, yeah. tell you this. Bob, I will tell you this Bob Wilson story. And this is the same trip, <laughs> which ends in Los Angeles. Again, first big road trip for me. I'm 24, 25 years old. Wilson tells me a couple of days ahead of time that you can cash in your coach. I don't know if this is true today. You can cash in your coach ticket from L.A. to Boston with a switch in Chicago. You can cash in your coach ticket for the next day, day travel, for the red-eye first-class ticket to Chicago. Red-eye, of course, as you leave Los Angeles around midnight. You're in Chicago around 6 a.m. Well, yep. this is the greatest. I'm traveling. I'm traveling with a big team, traveling with these guys I've read about. Bob Wilson, you know, legend. He's telling me how to travel. Sure. How do I do it, Wils? Here's what you do, Kevin. When the game ends, I'll I'll call the cab. I'll have the cab ready. You get rid of your story fast. We'll get over to LAX. Great. Over we go. Well. Rube that I am. Part of the reason Wilson is asking me is he's the first out of the cab, so I'm paying for the cab. That's fine. Oh, you know, yeah. Shame on me. I'm the new guy. So I'm there shelling out. There's a line at American Airlines to rewrite. you got to rewrite the ticket. Again, pre-digital age. Right, right, right. Wilson is already at the counter making his exchange. What I don't understand is there's only so many first-class seats. Which, again, I should have had that figured out, too. <laughs> Wilson is bolted. He's in. He's well ahead of me in terms of making the exchange. I'm Mickey the Dunce standing there, you know, twiddling my thumbs, waiting, waiting, waiting. Finally, I get a, in this case, it's a male agent behind the desk. 
I'm explain. I don't have to explain it. This guy is a whiz. He understands exactly what I'm looking to do. And he's, you know, head down, looking at the, touching these keys. He said, yes, sir, Mr. DuPont. In fact, yep, you're all set. In fact, you've got the last first class ticket. Bang. He hits it. I look over. Wilson is still trying to sort it out down at his end with the, with the gal behind the desk who can't, and I've been through this before, can't quite make it work. Yeah. So I get the last one. Wilson doesn't get the exchange. He ends up, he ends oh. up with a seat with the first row in coach, which is against the bulkhead. And he's got a woman next to him with a newborn infant puking oh and crying all the way from, from LA to Chicago. And I oh. made a point of making the trip back a couple of times to thank him. Say hi. Yeah. Thank him for that. Yeah, for touting me <laughs> on the exchange. One of my favorite Will stories. <laughs> oh, that's fantastic. Well, it's Adam, a great spot. A great pleasure. Great spot, great Dan. Day. Thanks a lot, Kevin. And to all our fans, please look him up, boston.com. You can find all his work. Always out there chugging along. Second thoughts, the hockey, the hockey knows all of it's excellent. I want to thank you on behalf of all of the Morning Skate fans. This has been quite the episode, a thrill for me. Thanks very much, Kevin. Yeah, I had a great time, Adam. Thank you. Thanks for having me. All righty.